Welcome to the Insight EWCSD podcast. I'm Mark Patterson, your host. On today's show, we're going to be talking with our art and music BCOS team about the enrichment opportunities offered to our students throughout the instructional day. But before we get started with that, I'd like to give a few reminders to our EWCSD community. We've had some very exciting news over the past couple of days. 13 of our schools across the district received the Silver Positive Behavior Intervention and Support Award, and one of them received bronze. We also received some amazing news that Leffingwell and Ocean View Elementary Schools received the National Blue Ribbon Recognition. Only 33 schools in the state of California received this recognition. We are thrilled to be able to send these two schools off to Washington, D.C. to receive this wonderful recognition and honor. Okay, so it's time for the show. Let's get started with our interview with our broad course of study art and music team. I wanted to give a little bit of background. Um, This has been a program that has been in the work since 2007. Our Board of Education and District has always been a firm believer that the arts is a critical component to developing our students and showing them that there is much more to education than just math science, social studies, and language arts, that the arts play a critical role in the development of our students in both interpersonal and intrapersonal skills. So we are very thrilled. Um, This program has even grown over the last two years. Initially, we started with two art teachers and two music teachers going around to each one of our 10 schools, but our board has been committed to being able to put money into this program because they realize the value of art and music. So we surveyed our community and using our thought exchange platform, we received outstanding feedback that really showed that our community felt the same way. There was overwhelming support for not only art and music in the elementary and middle schools, but also for the addition of robotics and physical education. When we drilled down even further into that data, we found that it was important for many of our families to have an instrumental music program in our elementary schools. So we started this year a violin program for our fourth and fifth grade students. So hopefully you have seen the examples of all of this amazing work that is going across all 10 of our elementary schools. So we wanted to give you some inside scoop about what your students are experiencing and kind of pepper it with some ways that you can support your students and children when they come home from school and talk about the amazing art lesson they had or how much fun they had in music. Um, And then when we get um, further on in the year, we'll bring in our robotics team, our STEM team, as well as our physical education team and our violin teacher. But for now, we're going to get to know our one of our amazing art teachers, Miss Amy Tai. Amy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So grateful to be here. So before we start in with some of the questions, can you just give us a little bit of background of your experience? Yeah. Um, so I was originally born in Taiwan, and I had moved to England as a kid where I first learned English. Then I moved to Oregon and then to New York City for my adult life. I moved to New York to start my grad school studies in teaching, and that's also where I started my teaching career. I taught for 12 years, um, and most of that 
time was in New York City at the public school system there, NYC DOE. And I moved to California two years ago, and this is my second year at East Whittier City School District. Mm, the beginning of my, my teaching career, I taught kindergarten and fourth grade. Then I got my second certification to teach art and transitioned into teaching art the second half of my teaching career. Well, we're, we're so excited that you finally found home, and you're now here at EWCSD with us, and our kids are thrilled. Can you kind of explain a little bit about what the role is of art in our broad course of study in our elementary schools? Yes, so um, this year, as you mentioned before, our BCOS team is split into two teams, and so I am teaching at five schools, while my lovely art teacher partner, Mary Contreras, she's teaching at the other five. We see each class from around 30 to 40 minutes per art session. And we frame our art projects according to art genre and the art process. So for example, when we're planning out our art curriculum, we think about just like in reading, you have nonfiction books, you have different genres like fantasy or biography. In art, there are also different genres, such as landscapes, portraits, sculpture, still life. And so when we plan out our art projects for each school year, we make sure that we include a diverse variety of art genres. Then we look at art movements. Um, there's so many different art styles and art movements throughout history, and the students are always excited to learn about how an art style came to be. So we will have an artist or um, a famous work of art to be used as inspiration to kind of get the students engaged and capture their attention. We build background knowledge by discussing and observing the works of art. Um, and I love the questions that students ask about the works of art that we visit such as just the other day in Ocean View, they saw the Mona Lisa um, on my wall. And they're like, Miss Ty, why is that painting everywhere? I see it literally everywhere, even in Minecraft. And I tell them, well, it's because it's a very famous painting by a famous artist named Leonardo da Vinci. And, and they're like, yeah, we've heard of him, we've heard of him. Um, but they're always so surprised when I tell them that he was also an incredibly intelligent scientist and inventor. And a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, too, right? Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> he was everything. He was super talented. Um, and what Da Vinci was actually known for was his extraordinary observation skills. And so that's why we really include a lot of time to discuss and observe. Just like scientists, artists observe, too, their surroundings, their daily life. And that is often um, a really fertile ground for inspiration. Then the demo process. I demonstrate a new technique or um, a series of steps for the project. And the art process is structured with an art goal um, and standards, obviously abiding by the California State Visual Arts Standards, but also a lot of room to remix ideas because creativity is just like science and innovation. Art is also a remix of ideas, including self-expression and purposeful creation. And so the students have time to plan and sketch or to discuss their ideas. Then I give them as much time as they need if it takes 
two art sessions, three art sessions to really take their time with the art process. And near the end of our project, we usually have a little bit of time to do an art talk or critique um, where students are given the opportunity to um, give each other feedback. And it really nurtures their constructive feedback and critical thinking skills, which is so important in our modern time because of the fact that we're all so different. And it challenges our students to see multiple perspectives, different points of views. And why is that so important? Well, it compels us to empathize with others. Empathy is something that we can all use a little bit more of in our society. And like you mentioned, interpersonal and intrapersonal skills hones social emotional intelligence. And so that critique aspect is super important. It baffles me to be able to think about some of the things that our kindergarten students are producing and then seeing what that looks like you know, four or five years later in fifth grade is, is amazing to me because I have absolutely no artistic ability whatsoever yet. But you know, there's always hope. Um, but can you tell me, what, what does it look like in kindergarten for a kindergartner who's barely you know, trying to figure out fine motor skills? So how do you, how do you help a kindergartner express themselves through art? That's a really great question. So, and I love, I love teaching about, um, well, you mentioned stick figures, right? That's a really great starting point because what element of art do we need to draw a stick figure? We need lines, right? If you can draw a line, you can draw a stick figure. So my first intro lesson, I actually bring out my um, pet snake. But don't worry, parents, it's not a real-life snake. It is a stuffed animal named Simone the Snake. It's this colorful rainbow snake um, who has taught my kindergarten students in this district how to make lines. And so I introduce a lesson all about the element of line in the very first lesson that I teach them. And we make lines with Simone, with our bodies. So we make a vertical line by standing up. I include a lot of TPR, which is total physical response, meaning that I get your students up and moving their bodies to make lines and shapes so they can kind of kinesthetically and hands-on really internalize what a line is. And also, we have a lot of fun because they love to dance as well. So we include a lot of dancing, movement to learn how to make a line. Then. Simone teaches them how to draw the lines, Simone and I, Simone the Snake and I. And we draw different types of lines using wavy lines, straight lines, diagonal lines. And it's a really great way to also internalize vocabulary because, I mean, horizontal line is a big word, a big mouthful of a word for a kindergartner. But when you're introducing and pairing it with movement, they learn that line a lot more intrinsically. And... The second step of that project is making those lines come alive. And so kind of honing in on learning lines in an in-depth way by making line sculptures. So we usually get these colorful strips of paper and tell them they're like little snakes that they can twist, they can fold to really exercise their fine motor skills. Um, and they have a lot of fun with that. Um, and so we make little line sculptures on top of our um, hand-drawn lines. So that is kind of the intro lesson 
to focus on the element of art for kinders. So fast forward four more years of students being in the broad course of study. They're sitting in a fifth grade class. They've actually been in our BCOS for the entirety of kindergarten through fifth grade. What does that experience look like as a fifth grader? So keeping in mind, let's just give an example, the element of line. So fast forward, they'll have really understood the elements of art and how to use them. And so, for example, when we're looking at work of art like Van Gogh's Starry Night, um, what I can ask them as kind of a, an engagement question for the fifth graders, which I actually did for the fourth graders last year for this project, is um, which element of art is most emphasized in Van Gogh's Starry Night painting. Um, and for students who maybe didn't have me for those previous years, I can ask them what a simple question as in like, what do you notice about how he uses paint or how he uses paintbrush? And many of them would emphasize, I see strokes, I see brush strokes, I see thick lines. And so to kind of take that to a higher order thinking skill level for the upper grades, I can ask them, well, why? Why did he use multiple lines in his paintings and not blend them together to make kind of a more realistic or naturalistic way of expressing the landscape? Um, and then they have all these thoughts about why he used lines. And the boldness of the lines really actually lend to the his art style and the period of art, which is post-impressionism during that time. So we talk about how um, the painting techniques have changed throughout the different time periods. And then also to translate that as a project they can use. Well, how do we use bold use of lines, the element of art of line, in your project for today and really express what Van Gogh also expressed? Well, he used bold lines to express movement in his paintings. So how can we use that in your work of art today to express movement or the elements of color? You know, as a kindergartner, they're learning the names of colors and how primary colors mix to make secondary colors. Well, in um, a fifth grade or fourth grade project, maybe we can take it to the next level by asking them, what is the expressive purpose of color? So why did Van Gogh use so many shades of blue and tints of blue? How do you think he was feeling during that time? How does it relate to Pablo Picasso's blue period, where all of his paintings were done in shades of blue. And they may mention, well, blue's associated with sadness, with sorrow. And so those are the different ways I could elevate and kind of develop that knowledge. So my, my last question before we move on to our amazing music teachers is, say a, a, a child comes home and says, you know, I love art. I want to do more of it. What's, what suggestions would you have um, short of sending them off to an art class somewhere else. But what are some things that they could potentially do at home to nurture that that intrinsic desire? What's really awesome about um, art that can be done at home is that anything that you have at home could be used as an art tool. So recycled bottles, um, paper, tape, anything you have around at home um, are materials you can give to your child to create. Um, but if you're looking for one specific art tool that I highly recommend for families to have at home is a sketchbook. Um, sketchbooks can be brought anywhere. It could be brought on your walk to the park. It could be brought to a gallery. It could be brought to grocery shopping. Um, and to ask your child 
um, give them the time and space to sketch and observe everything that's around them. Um, I think that growing up as I had my sketchbook and it was almost also a form of a journal and a, and a diary. And so it's a really, it gives them a safe space to not only express how they feel um, through the visual language because we do live in such a visual consumer culture. Um, and so giving them a tool to express their visual language is a super helpful um, outlet. And so having a sketchbook around, sketching their environment. Um, another really fun thing, if your kid isn't really into nature, you could, um, I, I cut little pieces of um, clear tape, those really thick packaging tape. And if you reverse them, you can actually make a little sticky bracelet with them. And so when you go to the park or a hike, you can have your child pick up different like a twig or a leaf or a flower and stick it onto their little sticky tape bracelet. And when, when they bring it home, it's a bracelet. Well, that's, that's all of that has been very interesting and, and very, very informative. So thank you for taking the time to join us. Um, now we're going to move on and have an in-depth conversation with our amazing music team. We're going to start off with one of our newest BCOS teachers, Mr. Bossman. Uh, Mr. Bossman, uh, before we get started, can you just give us a little bit of a background on you and your love of music? Yeah, sure. Again, my name is Mr. Matt Bossman. I'm the new music teacher for the BCOS team. Um, I love music. I've grown up with music my entire life. That was my outlet for everything. That was how I emotionally processed what was happening around me when things were going tough and when things were going really well. And it was just my way of processing what was happening and getting myself a good outlet so I wasn't getting myself into trouble. Um, but I've been in music and involved with it my entire life. Um, my grandmother was a Juilliard-trained uh, pianist. And my parents had no idea I had any musical talent until I walked by a piano and just started playing stuff by ear. And they said, hey, maybe we should get you into something and talk to her and just kind of got me plugged in and the rest is history. Um, I was a high school director for about six years where I taught high school music and did um, pretty much everything under the sun. The groups did very well. In fact, they probably did a little too well because we were always out performing and I was out every day until like 10 or 11 at night. Um, and I just realized that I wanted to start spending some more time with my family. Um, and then the biggest thing to get me the, the motivation to come back down to the elementary level was going through COVID and seeing just this level of apathy for things across the board. And our students were coming in just saying, I don't care. I don't want to do this, I just don't care. I don't feel anything. And the engagement level across the board just dropped. And I just had a calling for jumping in at the ground level and starting to build that back up because our students need to care about what they do. They need to have stuff they enjoy, whatever that is. But before they can enjoy something, they have to know how to enjoy. They have to know how to process what they like, what they dislike, and how to pursue stuff that is healthy for them that they do enjoy. So I was just really excited to hop in at the elementary level and just start building our kiddos back up. Well, I think one of the things that resonates most with me with what you just said is that whole idea of not really realizing that you have a talent for something and then something, some opportunity comes along and then it sparks that passion in you or at the very least that curiosity. 
because I think that's one of the things that's wonderful about this and having such a diverse broad course of study of music, art, STEM, and PE. And then the violin program is that we're giving kids opportunities that I never had really as, as a student to be able to experience that. So can you tell us what, given the whole month and a half that you have been on our broad course of study team, what's your perception of the music component and how kids are interacting and responding and showing their engagement with the program? Well, my first reaction was total jealousy because I wish I had stuff like this when I was growing up. Um, We had some basic music um, we went occasionally, and that was pretty much all we had. Everything else was just in your classroom doing classroom things. Um, The stuff that these kids are exposed to is just phenomenal. Um, And the level that they're going to be able to reach, just it it excites me to no end. Um, I like to look on like a 10-year track. Um, I also did coaching stuff in sports. So I also look through a sports lens. You look at the freshmen to see what they're going to do in college. You don't look, what am I going to do next week? So when I'm looking at what we're, what we're accomplishing here, these kids are getting set up to be able to go off to their middle schools to pick up so many new skills to then go off into high school and college and set them up for life in the workforce and they're going to have all these tools at their disposal that people around them are not going to have or they get to college and everybody's trying to build these skills they've already got that they're ready to go and they have a leg up just by default so that's the biggest thing um, that i've seen so far so going back to the stick figure analogy i was in one of our first grade classrooms over at leffingwell during music during broad course of study and they were doing snapping and stomping and they were going through rhythm and as somebody who has absolutely no rhythm at all um you know i was sitting there thinking like it's amazing just to be able to watch these kids kind of progress and kind of be able to use the academic language of rhythm and what rhythm means so how do, you, how do you get to that point to where you're having those conversations in week five um, with kids about music if they have not really had a whole lot potential exposure to that? Uh, well, the best part about getting in this early is that everything is fairly new. Even if they come in with some musical experience, what they know and more metacognizant, what they know about what they know is very basic level. They might not understand what's in front of them yet so you can still get on that ground floor and build this foundation so even though everything's new we can create a system where everything comes up organically and it's not me telling you vocabulary words you have to remember it's this comes up oh a student asks what is this and you can answer what that is and then they ask oh well why is it this way or how do we use this and then you can answer those in practice and put those together. Um, What I like to do with a lot of this is I demonstrate first and have them interact with the vocabulary and then put the name to it. So they already have some soft skill mastery before they know what it is they're doing or what to call it because then they have an idea in their mind and then the name just fits right on top of that and then it's cemented in there. There's never any question of, wait, what does this word mean? They already have that picture in their head and in their soul and their body. Like, they've, I've done this. This is what this is. And they just take that for granted and they run with it. That's fantastic. So I'm going to give you one more question before we punt it over to Mr. Hartman. Um, 
so when I'm in a situation that's musically relatable and I have other people around me, I get really, really nervous and really, really self-conscious. So how do you help kids kind of navigate that whole peer pressure of, of being self-conscious of being off rhythm or being off tune or anything that might be associated with just that fear of putting themselves out there? Oh, absolutely. Um, I subscribe to the Bob Ross strategy of there's, there's no mistakes. They're just happy little accidents. Um, and I mean, we all have our own strategies, but me personally is I get in there and I make a fool of myself from the very beginning and I get wild and crazy and I never ask them to do anything that I won't do. So in our first interaction, I tell them who I am and I tell jokes and I get excited and I walk around the room. I don't stay in one spot. And then we immediately start with some singing and dancing and I get up there and I shake my booty and I move around and I make faces and I sing off key, I clap, I, and I get them to just follow along and I make it okay to be silly. And without realizing it, the kids just start accepting that. And you can take the kid who comes in and, you know, as, as educators, we can spot the kids who are reluctant right away give them five minutes with me and they've forgotten why they were reluctant and they're at the forefront um, having fun and the biggest thing is just to be vulnerable with them first get them to know intrinsically that they can trust you and those walls are down and the rest is history fantastic well we're excited to have you join our bcos and you know hopefully we'll get to see much more of you shaking your booty um, as you post on Instagram and, and our social media so our parents have an opportunity to see the amazing things that are going on. So we're going to move on to our veteran music teacher who has been through thick and thin in our VAPA BCOS music art program or whatever we're calling it nowadays. But before we get started, could you kind of just give us a synopsis of who Mr. Hartman is? Mr. Hartman. Mr. Hartman's been teaching for over 35 years. <laughs> Um, I have an administrative credential. I have a master's degree in education, and um, I have like three minors that I don't want to talk about because I never use those anymore. You don't want to be pigeonholed into having to teach those classes <laughs> is really what it is. Okay. But I want to say before we get started any, any further, I'm absolutely amazed. You hired two PE teachers, two music teachers, one of them does violin, and two STEM teachers, and I'm amazed not only at how highly qualified they are, but the quality of the individuals you guys hired. I don't know how you did that, but as I get to know each one of them, I'm, I'm realizing that they're not, it's not the norm. These guys, this, these young guys coming in, and girls, are, are high-quality people. And I, if, you're, if, if parents were worried that teaching's gone off the deep end in some weird way, these guys are not those guys. These guys are quality human beings, and I'm really enjoying my time with them. And I'm enjoying learning from them. And I'm, I don't know how HR did that. I, to, every day I sit and talk to Bossman and Schrock and Smith and all these different people they hired, and I'm absolutely amazed at how, how good of people they are. Well, and, and Lilia is going to be excited that you said HR and not personnel. But, um, you know, like I said, um, this has been kind of a, of an undulating piece throughout our district, but yeah. the constant is our board has always been committed to the arts. Yeah. It's just, you know, the recession hit back in 2008, yeah. COVID hit in 2020, and but here we are still going strong and, and continuing to build. But yeah. from your perspective, what is the, what's the change or is there a change from the 
pre-pandemic BCOS VAPA team to the team that we have now? Well, simply, I mean, numbers alone, we have way more people now on task that are out there doing what we do. We have, like, like Amy said, we have two separate teams, which gives us more, more, more uh, contact time with students, which I think is really amazing. And we've had good people in the past. I'm not saying that any of the people we've had in the past are not quality. I can, I'm still friends with all the people we've had over the last 20 years. I email them and talk to them regularly. <laughs> One of them tries to sell me a house if you're listening, um, but uh, but it's interesting just that that you know there's a there's a community among us, and I think when that community is feels good about what we do, we walk into the classroom more loaded with with life, more loaded with ideas, more loaded with skills, and the more we talk, I'm actually pointing to Matt right now, but the more we the more we communicate with each other, the more ideas we have, and this is such a big group that we can share ideas cross cross. Um, across the different, um, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Just the different things we do as we teach and we're able to learn from each other, even outside of, like as a music teacher, I can sit and listen to Amy and go, wow, I could do that, oh, I could do that, oh, I could do that, because there's so many great ideas in the midst of how she's picking apart that that lesson and presenting that lesson. So there's, it's really cross-curricular, that's the word I was looking for, cross-curricular. Um, and so we can kind of learn from each other, I think, in those skills. It's neat that you mentioned that because when Amy was talking about how you take a line and then you expand upon the line and you make it into something different and more, right. it made me think about a lesson I was watching in second grade at one of my school visits and they were talking about taking this simple sentence and making that sentence much more robust and much more descriptive by adding adjectives and things like that. So it's all around us. It's yeah. just trying to figure out the more we talk and the more we have these conversations, we can create that synergy of making a connection between everything that we're doing. So I, I love that you said that. And even the standards are kind of like structured that way. Like they start in pre-K or whatever and they end with 12th grade, but all they are is, a, is, a, is, a, is a, a, an increased complication over the course of the life of the student so that each thing is becoming more in-depth you know, you're still cycling through some of the main basic ideas, but he, we were just talking about this on our way in, actually, Matt and I were. But then as you're spending more time in that in that subject, you can always add levels of complexity as they're able to understand those levels of, levels of complexity. So that's kind of the cool part of the whole thing. So I'm going to kind of go back to what I had asked Amy of, okay, you've got kindergartners, you got first graders, some can't even snap, some can't, you know, don't have any eye-hand coordination. So how do you how do you start? Yeah, you know what? I think I, I do the same thing Matt does. I think I, I'm I'm try, I would never try to embarrass anybody, and I don't feel I think in many years I've been doing this that anybody's felt embarrassed. But if somebody does want to stand out and sort of show what they can do at that moment, if they want to do more and and like isolate, kind of be out there, I I allow that. So there's a lot of times where students want to do a solo on something, and I just sure do it. I just today. A kid said, can I do that as a solo? I said, absolutely. I took a step back. Let's do it. And just gave them their chance. But I would never ask them to do that. That's something if they decide that they want to go beyond what we're doing as a group, I, don't, I have no problem with allowing that to happen. So how do you, when you're planning out your lessons and planning out that whole sequence of what you're going to do with a kindergartner versus what you're going to do with a fifth grader, what goes through a music teacher's mind as you're kind of trying to put all those pieces together. When I started off teaching, I came in with what I would call a, st a structure. I came in with, I'm going to teach this, and in let's let's take kinder, and it was like this this prepackaged 40 minute thing that I knew I was going to do with kindergarten. But over the course of the years, I realized kindergartners wanted more than that. You're going, what kindergartners want? You listen to kindergartners? Why would you listen to kindergartners? But over the time of teaching, I realized that they were asking for music that touched their heart. I know this is gonna sound really weird, but 
I mean, they would say, you know, I need a song to sing when I'm afraid. And you're going, what? And then, you know, and that's in, in education, we would call that self-regulation, where they're, they're taking something and they're applying it to fear. And so I'm thinking, wow, that's my job too? So I began to think, well, I need to give them something more than just a trite piece of something somebody wrote 30 years ago. I need to think deeply about what am I going to give a kindergartner that's going to help them if there's, if there's a situation that's beyond the, the, the standards would allow. And so, you know, and I think through those things. And I also think, well, let's, if it doesn't have value to the kid, why am I doing it? If this isn't something they're going to grab onto beyond me, then what's the point, you know? So I do listen to kinders, and kinders talk. And we have conversations about music and about lyrics and about things. I started off thinking I'm going to take a prepackaged concept and I'm going to impose it on a bunch of people I don't know. And then I began to listen, but I didn't do that right away. It took 15 years, 20 years before I actually started listening to what they had to say. And I think it's changed what I do. So kind of going back to the whole, well, how you're igniting this passion, you're getting kids excited, they're, they're thrilled to be in music. What do parent? What can parents and families do to be able to help support that at home? They're already doing it. The parents of the kids, one of the conversations I have every single day of the year with kids is kind of like, what are your influences? Where did, what's going on in your home? And every single time, it's like, I'm listen, I, you know, I like country music because my dad likes country music. I like pop music because my mom likes pop music or whatever it is. But the parents, because they love what they love, just that love alone is going to perpetuate whatever the student's love of music is. So I would say go love music, go love art, go love, go love sports, go love the Dodgers, go love the Angels, go love it all. Because what you love is what they're going to love, you know, and it's, I think that's the most important thing. I don't, I don't, I think lessons are important. We have, we have a conversation, your kids will tell you, we talk about, you know, the, who's taking private lessons, who are they taking them from. Okay, go, if you want to take guitar, go talk to that person's teacher. We also talk about apps, you know, way, free ways of getting lessons that are out there that are free or inexpensive ways of doing lessons. But I don't think it's, I don't think that's what makes kids, makes kids love music. I think what makes kids love music are parents loving music, parents loving art, parents loving all those things and appreciating those things. I appreciate that because just, just, Three hours ago, we were up in the Student Advisory Council, and I was ridiculed because I could only name one Taylor Swift song. So I, I love the fact you can just be who you are, and you can like what you like, and if it's not the norm or the mainstream, it's still okay because it's something that you find passionate in and something that, that you love. So I love, I love the verbiage that you're throwing out there. Um, so as the Yoda of our BCOS team, yeah. um, if you were able to say, well, what's the next step in BCOS 2425? Or where would you like to see this go? What would you say? I think just keeping this group, I think as they develop and mature, because they're who they are, like I said, and even our aides, we have an aide, we just hired Miss B. Oh my gosh, she's reading my mind. And I told her every day I see her, I'm like, how did you read my mind? You knew exactly what I was thinking. And she just, you know, she's relatively new to us. But I had an aide years ago and I thought, I don't want another aide. Nobody else can read my mind, but she's reading my mind. And so it's it's really an amazing team currently in place. And so, yeah. And then from a student perspective, experientially, what would you what would you say would be the next step for our kids? Um, well, I th I think as Matt said, they're 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 being sort of on on both cognitive level and a subcognitive level. I think they're we're hoping that they walk away loving music because if they love music and they love art and they love STEM and they love all the different activities they're involved in, they're going to go on to be good people. I think I think music. There's something about music and art 
and the, the, the arts in general that produce a better person because it reaches at every neurological level. Every, every single intelligence that we have in our lives, whether you're looking at you know, Howard Gardner or whatever, is touched by art and music, every single one of them. And it creates a grid for those intelligences to flourish. And without them, they don't, they suffer. And so I think what we're doing right now with, especially with this new group, I'm, I, I'm, I can't say it enough, this new group is blowing my mind on how good they are at what they do. But I think in the future, keeping this kind of this in place is going to be pretty amazing for the kids because the, it will. Do, it, it takes seven years to develop a program, so we're really looking at seven years down the line with this particular group. And I'm really amazed at how good they are. Well, I, you know, just listening to the passion and the energy and the excitement from the three of you, it, you know, definitely reinforces what I see on social media from our our teams posting all the things that they're experiencing, seeing what happens at our art show every year. You know, we're doing our uh, art foundation talent, I mean, our music art foundation talent show coming up soon. So another opportunity for our kids to shine. So I I really appreciate you all taking the time to come and share with us um, your passion and your excitement, because it definitely does translate over to our kids and the excitement that we're seeing. So we couldn't be more proud of the program. And it just kind of reinforces to our board, um, especially hearing what, you know, one of our veterans says is that you know this this initiative and this philosophy that the arts are important and should be part of the instructional program of the core program that we offer you know just kind of reaffirms you know what we've been working towards you know like Lauren said you know since 2007 2008 if not even earlier than that so um, we're going to keep on pushing parents family staff students we are going to go back out with another thought exchange relatively in the near future to see what other programs that we could be offering after school. As you know, through our ELOP program, we have a dance program um, that's offered by RMH Dance. Um, that, that's another opportunity for our kids to experience the arts. We also have a coding program that we're going to be offering, but we're going to be reaching out to see what other experiences our students and our staff and our families think would be beneficial for our students. So we're just creating those opportunities for kids to find what they're good at and what they're passionate about. And that dovetails into our elementary sports program that we're going to be launching relatively soon, too. So we'll be bringing our other BCOS teams um, to the podcast in the near future so that we can hear the other side of what's going on on the team that you keep referencing. But just want to thank you for your time and, and joining us. Special thanks to our BCOS team for the great discussion about our art and music programs and what our students are experiencing and what our families can do to keep that passion growing outside of the school day. So thank you for listening. Uh, be sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts. We are trending, uh, just joking, um, for, for access to all of our episodes. Until then, we'll continue to open the door to every child's future here at EWCSD. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.